This is the Point of Drew Podcast. What is up, Point of Druthers? We're back after a quick hiatus. We got a lot to get into today. I'm here with Barton. Barton, how's it going, man? What's up, G? Uh, feels good to be back. Uh, you and I both on the up now. Had a little bout with COVID over the last week, but uh, you know we're we're back and better than ever. I'm excited to to uh, a lot of lots to talk about. So excited to to just kind of debrief and, and really get back to back to the basics here. Yeah, man, we've got a lot to get into. We uh, just had March Madness wrap up, NFL draft coming up in two weeks or, or at the end of April. Uh, we've got about five weeks left in the NBA regular season. Stuff's heating up. We've got the Masters this coming weekend. It's a fun time in sports. Major League Baseball just kicked off the season, too. A uh, lot happening. We're going to dive into all of it. Uh, definitely looking forward to this episode. Should be a fun one, but... You know where we're going to start, Barton. We've got Jersey Corner, and uh, we're going with number 25 this week. JC, Jersey Corner 25. Best athletes to uh, to wear 25. I'll let you kick it off here, Barton. What is on your list? Who are the best athletes to wear 25? Yes, sir. Number 25. A couple honorable mentions to shout out real quick. Uh, starting with Fred Bolitnikoff. Uh, never watched the guy as a as a receiver in college or the NFL, but I do know that the best uh, college receiver every year um, wins the Fred Bolitnikoff Award. So I figured I'd give him a shout. He wore number 25 um, in college and in the pros. So shout out Fred. Um, and then a couple a couple Chiefs running backs I want to give a shout out to. Jamal Charles, uh, the yards per carry GOAT. Uh, the all-time NFL leader at 5.3 yards per carry over a season. So, you know, he was getting uh, – he was making the most of his touches um, during his time in the league, particularly with the Chiefs. Um, he repped 25. Every time I think of 25, I think of, of Jamal uh, and, and what he did. And so he was great at UT and then had a great career with the, with the Chiefs as well. So I figured I'd give him a shout. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, my guy, the rook from the boot this past year. He's been repping 25. I think the future's bright for the youngster. He's maybe not one of the, the best to ever do it at 25 yet, but I think he's got a, a bright future ahead of him. And so figured I'd give him a shot as well. And then the only other one, just because he's been in the news cycle recently, uh, the head coach at Michigan, Juwan Howard. When he was back in college at, with the Fab Five at Michigan, he rocked number 25 those, uh, you know, on that great team with Jalen Rose and Chris Weber and those guys. And so um, figured I'd give Juwan Howard a shout. He had a great year with, uh, with Michigan in his first season as head coach and uh, just fell short of that, that making that final four. Unfortunately, we were knocked off by uh, a great UCLA team in the Elite Eight. But um, Juwan Howard, going to give him a shout. He rocked 25 as well. Some great shout outs there. Um, love that. I actually had kind of a tough time with 25 off the bat. I was thinking 25 might be a, a killer number for Jersey corner. Um, and I actually had trouble coming up with some real good honorable mentions, but uh, I'm going to start the same place you did. That's with Jamal Charles. Um, you know, growing up, he was the, the Casey running back that we got to, to watch the most. 
definitely rep the Chiefs well. Four-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro first team. Um, dude was fast, too. He was fun. He was one of those guys when he got the ball in open space, uh, no one was touching him. And at the time, there were a couple guys in the league like that. You had Chris Johnson, who was kind of in that same boat. Um, but Jamal Charles was just fun to watch, man. He was he was awesome. Uh, definitely deserves a shout-out for number 25. Um, second, I've got Richard Sherman on the list. Uh, he's rocked 25 pretty much his whole career. Uh, definitely had a little stretch in Seattle where he was arguably the best corner in the league for a while. There are a couple seasons in there where, where he was thought of as probably the, the best shutdown corner in the league. Uh, guarding sorry ass receivers like Crabtree. Um, and I think he's still rocking 25 today now in San Francisco. Um, really smart dude, too, out of Stanford. You know, negotiated his own contract and put all those incentives in that he ended up hitting, uh, hitting on. So, uh, definitely shout out for Richard Sherman there. Um, and the last shout out I have is a guy who doesn't really deserve uh, an honorable mention for, for what they did on the court, but is definitely someone that's, uh, you know, well thought of in their sport. And that's Steve Kerr um, won four titles wearing number 25. Uh, wasn't the greatest player ever, but definitely hit a game winner uh, when he was with the bulls in one of those finals games. So won three titles with the bulls, won another in San Antonio and rock 25 for all of them. So those are my shout outs, but, now it's on to you. Let's hear your winner. Who is the best everywhere? 25. Man, I like the Kerr shout out. I did not know he rocked 25. Um, he, he, hey, he did some cool stuff on the court. He got the hands from MJ in practice every once in a while. Yep. Uh, I, li- I like the Sherman shout as well, too. I didn't, I didn't actually know he negotiated his own contract. I knew, I knew he was a Stanford guy. And so that's, that's really cool. Um, he maybe had the best post, uh, post-playoff game interview of all time. So he deserves Definitely. to win. Yeah, no, it was a cool situation with his uh, contract because when it, everyone was kind of scrutinizing him, scrutinizing him for uh, repping himself with the contract, and people were saying he low-balled it, got underpaid, and, and could have gotten a lot more if he would have had a, a real agent. Um, but it just so happened the contract, he had a ton of uh, incentives um, so one was like making the Super Bowl, which San Fran did. One was making the the Pro Bowl, which he did, and, and a bunch of different things like that. That uh, and like you know get six interceptions. There are a lot of little incentives he had in there that all added up to getting way more than than he probably would have with an agent. So uh, sick situation by Sherman, man. Yeah, and the media's got to read the fine print. They they got to <laughs> exactly. Get He's got his own best interest in mind, but uh, I like that one there. That's some good context. So I'm going to go my best ever do it at 25. I have a feeling it's that we, we have the same guy here. This one was easy for me is Barry Bonds. I mean, steroids aside, best home run hitter ever. Um, my favorite thing about him is that he drew more intentional walks than anyone else, um, which is, is such a cool stat because it just shows, you know, hey, it's, it's such a sign of respect when – you know, someone's pitching away from you when you're at the plate. And that happened numerous times throughout Barry Bonds career because they were just scared he was going to, um, you know, put one out of the park on him. And so I got to go Barry Bonds. He, he's hit more home runs than anyone else in, in MLB history. Um, he rocked 25 for pretty much his whole career, at least his time with the San Francisco Giants. 
Um, so I'm going, I'm going Barry uh, for my best ever year to 25. Barry Bonds for you. And for me, I'm leaning the same way. Uh, last, last time on, on Jersey Corner 24, I went Willie Mays and gave the, uh, the whole argument for Willie Mays as the goat in baseball. Um, but if it's not Willie Mays, my answer for that same question the GOAT in baseball would be Barry Bonds. I think it's down to those two, and I think Barry Bonds is the best to ever grace number 25 on the back of his jersey. Um, all those years with the Giants, he was wearing number 25. Um, he was a seven-time league MVP, which is crazy. Um, I love the intentional walk stat. He, he really did strike fear into pitchers. Um, you knew every single, every single pitch you threw. That guy could hit it 500 feet into the stands. Um, you know, 762 career home runs, the, the leader there. Um, you know, the GOAT, Barry Bonds, he's, he's right there, in my opinion, is the best to, to ever play baseball and is the best to ever wear 25 as well. So there you have it. We're both locking in Barry Bonds as the winner. Yes, sir. I think it's uh... – I'm glad we both have gone a lot. You're a big NBA guy. I uh, more partial to NFL. So you see that a lot in who we're picking as, as the best to ever do it at, at certain jersey numbers. So I'm glad we're both on the same page here. We finally got a, a baseball, an MLB, or a look here. Um, so Barry Bond, best to ever do it at 25. That's You heard it here first on Point of Drew. Unanimous. Like we mentioned, we've got a lot to hop into now. we got college hoops. We've got a little NFL trade talk. We've got an NBA update, and, and we're going to break down the Masters as well. But first, we've got to stop in and hear a word from our friends over at Shug's Bagels. This episode of Point of Drew is brought to you by the one, the only, Shug's Bagels. Termed by many as the new breakfast of champions, Shug's will be open all week long, serving up their famous bagels, rolls, wraps, and burritos. What? Yeah, you heard me. Burritos. Go check out their new special, Miguel's Burrito. Spicy chorizo, golden hash browns, juicy peppers and onions, and pepper jack cheese all snugged up in one of their delicious wraps. Go show them some love on social media, at Shug's Bagels, and pay them a visit in Park City's Village right near SMU campus. Shug's Bagels, the new breakfast of champions. All right, Barton, we have March Madness over with. It's a sad moment when March Madness finally ends, but a crazy tournament, a crazy Final Four. I definitely want to dive into to all of it, but first I did want to give a shout-out to, uh, on the women's side of things, saw Stanford women taking home the championship, Haley Jones getting uh, the, the championship MVP, um, their coach Tara Vanderveer gets her her second ring as coach at Stanford. Um, so shout out to them. They had a, a tough battle with Arizona. Um, Ari McDonald for Arizona, uh, real hooper. She can really ball. She's going to the uh, WNBA draft now. She put up a fight, had a chance to win it at the end, but uh, did just want to give a shout out to Stanford on the women's side of things before we hop over to the men's side. But now on the men's side, let's just start with the uh, the final four and start with that UCLA Gonzaga game. Pretty crazy game. A lot of uh, a lot of great names in there. We had Johnny Juzang. We got Tiger Campbell, Jamie Jack Wes. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of those <laughs> right, but uh, you know, 
some great names in there, but tell me about the game and uh, and what you saw in the final four. Yeah, man, you're uh, you're right about UCLA being like an all name team uh, between Juzang and, and Tiger Campbell. Jaime Hawkes is how you pronounce Jaime it. Jaime Hawkes, I love it. That man, that was a fun group, and I, I was so thrilled. I didn't know much about UCLA going into the tournament. Um, deservedly so. They weren't very good. They barely made it in. They were one of those first four teams that had to had to play their way in and, and found themselves down, uh, I think, 11 points, double digits in that game to Michigan State in the playing game and were able to rally and win that one um, and then have a quite a run here. You see it a lot of times in March when a team just gets hot and, and, and just rattles off wins in a row and they ended up making it all the way to the final four, which was a, really a credit, I think, to, to their coach. Mick Cronin, um, I know him well, uh, being a, a big SMU guy. He, he was a longtime coach at uh, AAC rival um, Cincinnati. And, uh, and Mick, he's a little guy, but he's got a big heart. And uh, he brought that sensey grit, grittiness to L.A. Um, and, and really instilled, uh, you know, what it means to play team basketball at UCLA. You see a lot of the flash in, in years past uh, with UCLA. They're kind of a, a superficial team in a lot of ways to get – you know, that, that L.A. culture kind of rots away at them. But that was not the same at all this year, man. They had heart. They had toughness. They had they had that sensey grittiness. And, and I think a lot of it was, um, you know, because Mick Cronin, their head coach, really, uh, really kind of brought that and, and you know, really made um, made that team a lot tougher than they usually would be. Um, so all credit to UCLA. What a run they had. And, and, you know, all kind of culminated in that final four game. We saw against Gonzaga, uh, what a performance. Um, probably one of the, the best games I've ever watched personally. Um, I think there were like nine or ten lead changes um, in that one. It was it was a battle from start to finish. Um, UCLA came in and, and really just never backed down uh, from a, an undefeated Gonzaga team, a heavy favorite, a double-digit favorite going in. Um, and we saw a great one from start to finish. Like I said, tons of lead changes and – you know, ended in that memorable buzzer beater, um, you know, from Jalen Suggs, the freshman. I loved uh, seeing him get up on the scoreboard. Anytime, anytime you see a guy get up on the scores table, it just sends chills down my, my spine. So that was a, a crazy game, um, one that I'll never forget uh, in, in a treat. You know, we were kind of due. It had been a couple years um, since we had a, a buzzer beater type game like that, um, All really all the way back since 2016 when – uh, uh, Villanova took down UNC on that Chris Jenkins buzzer beater to win. And so it had been a couple of years that NCAA, uh, college hoops really needed it. Um, a, a crazy one like that one. And, and, and we got it for sure in spades with, with that UCLA, uh, um, that UCLA game. Uh, Gonzaga ends up winning it and, and goes on to the final. But, uh, man, that was a fun one. What did you think? Did you have a chance to catch that one? I mean, yeah, crazy game for sure. And, and uh, you know, I'm not even sure if you mentioned, but overtime game, um, you know, crazy play at the end of regulation as well. Um, where I thought for for a second, I think they did get the charge call correct at the end of the day. I, I think it was a charge, but I hate the charge call. I, I hate that it's a part of the game. I think uh, – you know, it's you're not trying to play defense when you take a charge. You're trying to draw a foul. It's the same as you know foul baiting on the offensive side of things. So I just hate when when a um, you know game does get decided 
from a from an offensive foul charge call. Um, but with that said, it was called by the book. It was a charge the way the rules are written, without a doubt. Um, and, you know, Gonzaga deserved to win the game at the end of the day, especially with, um, you know, the, the buzzer beater shot from Suggs in, in overtime. Uh, it would be – it's really fun to see UCLA back in the Final Four. And, um, you know, you, you talked about Mick Cronin a lot. I really hope that he can keep that up at UCLA and, um, you know, make UCLA the, the blue blood type of team that we know they can be um, and have shown in the past that they are that type of program. So awesome stuff from UCLA for sure. But, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, that UNC Nova title game. What other, you know, memorable, memorable games of our lifetime does this kind of remind you of? I think this was really kind of the 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 most memorable game of the final four. We'll get to the national championship in a second. And that was, you know, memorable for its own reasons, but a buzzer beater ender in a final four game. What, what other games can you think back on that, that this matches up with? Yeah. And so aside from that UNC Nova game, which was, was crazy in its own way where, Marcus Page has that kind of one-legged three-pointer, that herky-jerky shot that goes in. And then Villanova is able to respond in, in crazy fashion. Ryan Archer, you know, runs down, flips it to Chris Jenkins, and they hit it for the win. So that's probably the craziest game uh, of our lifetime, at least. But a couple others come to mind um, with, some, with some crazy buzzer beaters. Um, all the way back in 2010, uh, when Butler made that Cinderella run, uh, all the way to the finals against Duke. And, and Gordon Hayward threw up that last-second heave. Uh, unfortunately, it did not go in, and, and Nolan Smith and those Duke boys ended up getting it done. But, um, you know, that one was crazy, and you really think maybe that's pro- that, that would be probably the craziest finish of all time if, if Hayward is able to make that half-court shot. And, and then, of course, you know, I'm biased, but um, Mario's miracle, uh, Kansas Jayhawks back in 2008, um, this one wasn't to win, but it was to force overtime. Uh, Chalmers gets the flip from Sharon Collins and, and drills that three as time expires as KU would, would go on to uh, beat Memphis in, in overtime, that Derrick Rose Memphis team. Um, and so those two games, I would say, aside from the UNC Nova one, are, are probably the craziest finishes, in, in, at least in the final four of, of my lifetime. But, man, Suggs and, and Gonzaga against UCLA, that one will be right up there. I think for me in terms of just uh, some, a game that you'll always remember um, with just complete craziness right till the end. Yeah, so Suggs hits the buzzer beater. Gonzaga moves on, but they run into Baylor in the national championship. Tell me about the national championship game. What happened to Gonzaga? The, the perfect season, uh, the undefeated season, it goes down. They, they take their first loss of the year in the last game of the year. How'd Baylor do it? Yeah, man, it, it couldn't have been more different than than that uh, that crazy Final Four game between UCLA um, between UCLA and uh, Gonzaga. This one was a wire to wire win for Baylor. They came and dominated the whole time, and you know I think it kind of gets lost in translation a bit just with Gonzaga having a perfect season and um, you know them hitting the buzzer beater to get to the final game. Uh, of how good and, and, and solid Baylor was all year, too. I mean, both teams were statistically far and away the two best teams in the country. It wasn't just Gonzaga out there on an island being perfect. Baylor was so close. I mean, they did have one loss to Kansas in the regular season, but 
aside from that, I guess they did lose in the conference tournament as well. But Baylor was was just as just as talented um, and, and just as dangerous as you saw in that championship game. They uh they got up early, uh, got out to that 9-0 lead. They led 11 to one, and then even 29 to 10 in the first half, up 19, and so um, really got after him early and, and and just continued to to kind of put him away for the rest of that game. Baylor so talented at the guard positions, right? Those guards were were just too good. Their shot making was really the difference there between um, Jared Butler. Uh, the Louisiana kid um, who, who really came on strong. He ended up winning player, the most outstanding player of the tournament. Uh, Davion Mitchell, we knew what he could do defensively, and um, he was terrific offensively as well in this one. And then a guy who's not talked about as much as those guys, but Macy Oteague, um, he was absolutely terrific. The transfer from Asheville, um, his shot making was was absolutely the difference, I think, at least in that first half in terms of getting Baylor out to that big lead. I think he ended up with 14 in the first half and uh, perfect shooting. And so between those three guards, they were just too much. Baylor, too physical. We saw all the memes. You know, they they lift with uh, – Gonzaga may be talented, but Baylor lifts with the football team. And and that was really true here. I mean, they, they were way more physical. They wanted it more from the beginning. And, I mean, complete, to be completely honest, Gonzaga looked a little flat from the start. They looked a little hungover from that that big, memorable win against UCLA – um, and, and Baylor came in with energy from the beginning and, and were just too much for, for the Zags. Yeah, it's definitely what it seemed like. And Baylor, man, they, they definitely went out there, went and just took this. The, you know, from the opening tip, they played as if they were the one who was supposed to win the game. Um, you know, everyone going into it was favoring Gonzaga. It seemed like it was Gonzaga's to win after the buzzer beater to get there seemed like it was the perfect story written for Gonzaga and uh, Baylor wasn't having any of that. They, uh, you know, they're confident and they uh, were confident for a reason because they were the better team without a doubt on Monday night. Um, and, and so props to Baylor, man, that that's a really, uh, really great win for that program. Scott drew the coach, yep. um, you know, putting Baylor on the map is, is, you know, one of the premier spots to be, he's a, a guy that's proven that, He's a, a really good coach and, and can definitely develop talent, can go get talent as a recruiter and uh, is bringing in the right type of guys to the program. So hats sure. off to Baylor, man. Um, you know, they, they really deserved it this year. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, as much as uh, I'm not much of a Baylor fan, uh, <laughs> the Scott group fan for that matter, they deserve a lot of credit. Um, definitely des- we're, we're deserving of this, this title this year and, uh, you know, the Zags, great season for Mark Few and Gonzaga. Um, unfortunately, going to come up a little short. Um, you know, great, great group there. I'm sure uh, between Kispert and Suggs and Timmy, they'll all have pretty solid NBA careers. Timmy, man, I mean, he, he was a lot of fun to watch throughout the tournament, but that stupid handlebar mustache celebration started to, to piss me off a little bit towards the end. He was doing it with down double digits. Uh, which I mean, I mean, the guy's got some balls to to, to be throwing up a celebration down double digits. But man, you got to chill out with that. Um, I didn't, I didn't love that, and so I think he kind of got some some justice served there. Um, you know, was was getting a little carried away with that one, and, and Baylor let him know, hey, uh, you know, Timmy, you may be maybe pretty dominant, but we're not we're not letting you win this title this year. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right there, but. 
enough on the national championship. Let's switch gears a little bit, take it over to a different sport on the NFL side of things. We did have some big news break this week. Um, and I say big news, but it's probably just as big as you take it. Cause I don't know if I, I'm too convinced that this move does anything to really move any type of needles around the league, but Sam Darnold was traded a guy who is often thought to look just like you. Sam Darnold is headed to the Panthers. Um, in return, the, uh, the jets are getting a 2021 this year's sixth round pick and a 2022 second round and fourth round pick as well in the deal. Um, but Sam Darnold set to be the new Panthers quarterback. Um, he'll, he'll probably duel it out with Teddy Bridgewater to see who gets that starting role. But what are your takeaways from the trade? Yeah, man. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. My, my twin, uh, Sam Darnold, headed to, uh, to Carolina. I'm, I'm very happy for him. Um, I'm excited to see him get away from New York. Uh, did not have a good stint there. But, um, yeah, a couple things on this trade I think worth noting. Um, you know, firstly, the Panthers, this really shows to me that, you know, they feel more comfortable about Sam Darnold or at least trust him a little bit more than any of these other rookies they could have drafted. They're, they're picking eighth in this upcoming draft. And so, um, you know, you think probably, okay, Trevor Lawrence and, um, and Zach Wilson are off the board. Seems like Mac Jones as well. So they may have a look at either Justin Fields or Trey Lance. So looks like they're going to go with Darnold over those guys. They at least feel more comfortable about what they can do with him as opposed to those rookies. And so, you know, that's kind of my first takeaway. They, they have a little bit more trust in what they've seen out of Sam and, and his ability as a, as a prospect than some of those other guys. Um, but I think the biggest winner out of anyone other than Sam getting to leave New York and, and Adam Gase is, is Joe Brady, um, the, the, the OC of the Panthers. He was already kind of being groomed for a head coaching position, is held in, in very high regard around the league. Um, and so if he can turn around Sam Darnold's career uh, in, in this upcoming season, he'll look like a, you know, a true QB quarterback whisperer and offensive savant and, you know, really have a, a springboard into a, in a head coaching job in the following year. And so Joe Brady, uh, you know, he's got a, a talented guy in Darnold to work with. He was a, back in 2018, maybe the, the, the highest touted prospect. And so we know the guy has talent. We haven't seen that materialize yet in the NFL. And so if Joe Brady can turn around Sam Donald's career, I really think that will bode well for him uh, as a potential head coaching candidate. Um, and the other thing I want to shout out with this, uh, I, I pulled some stats for this one, but it, it, it's pretty interesting. I got to do it. I got to bring up our, our, <laughs> old, our old friend bug out, Adam Gase, the Adam Gase effect. And unfortunately, Sam Darnold, uh, you know, came into the league and was only coached by really one guy so far, Adam Gase. And, and I want to give you uh, some context on, on the Adam, what I'm calling the Adam Gase effect. And really what that would mean is just other players being coached by Adam Gase, leaving uh, to go to another team and immediately writing their careers, having career years, um, you know, starting with Devontae Parker, for example, he was with Adam Gase in 2016, 2017, and 2018 with the Dolphins. And in any of those years, he never finished higher than 35th in the league in terms of receptions, 43rd in the league in terms of receiving yards, and, and then 36th in the league in terms of receiving TD. So really not even sniffing, you know, kind of a top tier of receivers. 
the year Gase leave, the year he uh, Gase leaves to go to New York, the following season, Devontae Parker finishes 20th in the league in receptions, fourth in receiving yards, and third in touchdowns. And so just a meteoric rise once Gase leaves, uh, immediately becomes almost a top 10 receiver in the league after, you know, not even being a top 30 or even 40 receiver um, with Adam Gase. And so, uh, you know, you see a little bit of the bug out effect there. Gase leaves and, and Devontae Parker starts showing his true colors. The same is true with a couple other players, Kenyon Drake being one of them. Uh, Adam Gase, he, he left uh, the, the Dolphins to go to, care, uh, excuse me, Arizona, the Cardinals, and in that season in 2019, immediately doubled his touchdown output and total yardage in a single year um, once he was away from Adam Gase. And so another guy that immediately righted his career once uh, getting away from, from old bug out. And then finally, the kind of most notable one, we've all heard it, Ryan Tannehill. Since leaving Miami and, and Adam Gase, he's had consecutive career bests in terms of completion percentage, QBR and games one. And so uh, each of those three examples are, are uh, I think plenty of, um, you know, plenty, plenty of proof there that Adam Gase really sinks people's careers. Uh, those are all guys who are now productive players in the NFL who, you know, were maybe going to be out of the league if they spent a couple more seasons, with Adam Gase. And so I think the same very much could be true with, with Sam Darnold. Um, you know, there's no certainty, uh, that he works out in Carolina, but I'd be willing to bet he has a career year in Carolina that now that he's away from old bug out. Yeah, definitely seems like uh, the trend is towards a, a great breakout year for, for Sam Darnold. Uh, anytime we get a chance to bring up Adam Gase and rag on him a little, that is one thing that, that you, our podcast listeners can expect us to do. We don't like Adam Gase and. uh, you know, he is gone now from the Jets. He wouldn't have been there, but I do think it's good at the end of the day for Darnold just to go get a new situation, new team, full set of new coaches, some young coaches like, uh, you know, head coach Matt Rule, um, who's going to be innovative, do some stuff that, that Sam Darnold could hopefully slot right into. And I agree with the, your, your big winner saying Joe Brady is a uh, you know, in a good spot to, as the offensive coordinator there. But I will say you mentioned that, Brady could line himself up for a head coaching job. And I do just want to note that if he gets a head coaching job before Eric B enemy, uh, I, I will never watch football again. <laughs> uh, I'm putting that out there right now. That is a fact. You can hold me to it. Uh, but I do, uh, do really think it is a good move. I think Joe Brady can do some really good stuff with Darnold and hopefully they put it together out in Carolina, but that's going to wrap it up for, uh, for uh you know that that sam darnold trade segment we can dive into some nba we'll get into some nba action as the stretch is really heating up now but first we're taking a quick break Barton just mentioned it but the NBA is really heating up now um, the play-in tournament starts May 18th which means we have just about five weeks left in the uh, the regular season 
teams are gearing up for this stretch run leading up to the playoffs right now. The conferences, the seedings, they're really starting to take shape. It's uh, it's getting hot right now. There's a, there's a lot going on around the NBA, and, and you know I'm fired up about it. Yeah, man, I know you've been watching. I know you've been tuned in. Uh, I know you're excited for this final stretch, these final five weeks before the playing tournament. And so, you know, I've been busy with uh, with college basketball. Um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit partial to that. And so you got to catch me up, man. Uh, I haven't been watching as religiously as you. So why don't you start kind of by walking me through the tiers of the Western Conference and, and kind of start with that top top tier. Who, who, who's there right now? Which teams are, are leading the way there in the West? Yeah, so right now in the West, um, you know, there is a lot going on, but I think there is a pretty clear top three right now. And, and two, two names in that top three are, are a bit of a surprise. Um, Utah is, is the one seed right now. They've been killing it all year. They only have 12 losses on the entire season. Um, and they've got the one seed and look like they're going to hold on to it. They're playing really well. Um, did just take a loss to the Mavericks earlier this week, but – um, no big sweat there. Utah's killing it. They're the best team in the Western Conference. Um, the second seed right now is, is Phoenix. The Suns are playing really well. Chris Paul's back at it again. Devin Booker is playing like the all-NBA type of guard that we know he can be. Uh, Mikhail Bridges locked down on defense. Jay Crowder stepping up, playing well. Um, the Suns are, are in a really good spot. I think they uh, are still – susceptible come playoff time but but for now they're locked in that top tier in the west um especially as far as this regular season's going and then lastly is the clippers um the clippers have been quiet this year that paul george is is going through some injuries right now dealing with a little toe issue but um has been playing through it he killed the blazers last night put up 22 in the first quarter against the blazers um which was a, a rough one to watch um but the, the Clippers are still right right there, um, doing exactly what we expected them to do this season. Um, and, and I'd say they round out what is really the top tier in the Western Conference, Utah, Phoenix, Los Angeles Clippers. That's the top tier, and they, they really have set themselves apart from the, the rest of the conference. Yeah, man. So interesting. I mean, who would have thought before the season that the top two teams in the West would be the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns. It's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I personally wouldn't have expected it, but, you know, those teams have kind of been there from the beginning, and, and it's exciting to see them continue pace and, and, and really lead the way there. Um, but changing gears a little bit, who, who's, in, who's kind of in that middle tier in the West and, and, and kind of which, which way are those teams trending right now? Yeah, the, the middle tier in that Western Conference is uh, – it's all pretty close, and I still think there's a lot of uh, teams to, to move around in that middle tier. But looks like Denver is at the top of that middle tier. Denver's really been surging lately, especially post-trade deadline. Um, the acquisition of Aaron Gordon looks phenomenal. Uh, he's fit in really perfectly in that offense. He's He's been really, really, really good since the trade. And so – um, you know, if there is a team right now that can actually surge into that top tier, um, it would be Denver. I think Denver's only about a game back of the Clippers right now. Um, and the Clippers are playing really well. But if Denver keeps this surge that they're this tear they're on right now, um, wouldn't surprise me to see Denver jump into that the top three in the West. 
Um, so they're looking at, like they're uh, definitely a team who can fight back, get to the Western Conference Finals, honestly. Um, it, and then the rest of that middle tier, um, the Lakers are for sure still in there. And come playoff time, I'm not betting against the Lakers with healthy LeBron, healthy Anthony Davis. Um, but right now they just don't have healthy LeBron or healthy Anthony Davis. So the Lakers have been racking up a couple losses. Um, have slid back in the, the rankings just a little bit. They're in fifth place right now. Um, and, and I think their whole goal is just stay out of that play in wait. You know, I think about a week from now, LeBron's set to return. Um, and you know, that'll jolt the Lakers and they'll probably hold steady right in that middle tier. Um, and then towards the bottom of that middle tier are the Mavericks and the Blazers. And it looks like the, the Blazers and Mavericks are probably going to be the ones battling it out to see who gets the six seed and who, who gets that seven seed and has to play in the play-in tournament. Um, and right now the Blazers hold that six seed about two games up on the Mavs. Uh, but the Mavs have been hot. Luka's playing well. Porzingis just did go down with an injury. So we'll see how the, the Mavericks can manage without him. Um, but a, a lot of things are looking, uh, looking good for the Mavericks right now. Um, the Blazers are getting healthy at the right time and, and we know what Dame is capable of. He's definitely the, the guy that can go win those games. Um, and especially win the close ones, but the Blazers have been really bad against, against good teams. And they have a stretch coming up where they play a lot of above 500 teams, a lot of playoff teams. Um, so we're going to find out who the Blazers really are. Um, but that, that's kind of the, the middle tier right now in that Western Conference uh, playoff picture. I got you. Yeah. And, and sticking around on that middle tier, you mentioned Denver surging since the, uh, the addition of Aaron Gordon at the deadline. How does he really change the complexion of that team? So I think one of the biggest things is they uh, – it doesn't change the complexion a ton from last year because last year they had Jeremy Grant. And Jeremy Grant was the go-to wing defender – he was one of those guys who knew how to cut, who could knock down a three, and they've been missing that type of player all year. Aaron Gordon is just a better version of last year's Jeremy Grant. Um, Aaron Gordon is one of the best wing defenders in the league, quite honestly. Um, he's a terrific cutter, and has really worked well with Jokic, um, being able to, to read what Jokic is doing, cut at the right times. Um, and has really given Denver kind of a pickup on both ends of the court, um, just in terms of the, the effectiveness of Aaron Gordon on the offensive end. And then um, him just being a guy that can, can guard multiple positions on defense. He allows the defense to switch a little bit. Uh, you know, he can guard some of the bigger guards. He can guard some of the, the smaller uh, forwards and big men. Um, and it's just been kind of a piece that Denver – is missing. Uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr. just definitely isn't that type of wing defender. Uh, Paul Millsap isn't having a great season. Uh, and they've been missing Jeremy Grant. Now Aaron Gordon's there to, to fix all of that. Yeah, man. Well, it seems like that, that deadline move, adding Aaron Gordon, has really paid dividends for the Nugs. And I'm sure our guy, Bo Malone, is, is thrilled to have him. Uh, <laughs> and speaking, just one, one more question on, on that middle tier in the West. You mentioned your Blazers battling out with the, the Dallas Mavericks and Luka for that uh, for that six seed. How important is that that they get that six seed and stay away from that that playing tournament? Um, it's tough to it's tough to say. 
Um, you know, at the end of the day, the sixth seed right now is playing the Clippers, where if, if you get the seventh seed, you're playing Phoenix. Right. Who would you rather play come playoff time? A very inexperienced uh, Phoenix team. We know Chris Paul's track record in the playoffs isn't phenomenal. I do trust Chris Paul, and he's awesome. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But you want to avoid that play-in tournament. You don't want to give any chance that, that you know, you may be playing the Warriors and Steph Curry. And do you really want to have a, a do-or-die game against Steph? Right. Um, you know, you just don't want to be put in that spot. Um so, so I do think it is important to stay out of that that play-in tournament. Anything could happen in a, in a play-in. Um, so it's best to just lock down that sixth seed and and face who you got to face. Yep. And speaking of that play-in tournament, who are some of the teams in the West that are, are kind of set for that play-in tournament and who are trying to play themselves into, into contention there? Yeah, so it really comes down to obviously the seven, uh, the seven seed, like we just talked about, probably coming down to Blazers and Mavericks. Um, but right now, the the rest of that play-in shapes up to as the Grizzlies, um, the Warriors, and the Spurs would be the the three teams uh, that would also be in the play-in. Um, and then just outside of that play-in is the Kings and the Pelicans. Um, they're both about two games back of the play-in. So it looks like unless, you know, the Kings or Pelicans can go on a, on a tear here, and then one of those play-in teams, the Grizzlies, Warriors, or Spurs, takes a, you know, knock and, and starts losing some games. Um, looks like that play-in could be set for the most part. Although the Spurs have been uh, on, a, on a slide lately, they've been – losing quite a few games, dealing with a few injuries, just not looking like the team they were at the beginning of the season. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Spurs do fall out, um, even though they'd be the team to slide out if one of them did. But right now it looks like the Grizzlies, Warriors, and Spurs are going to be the those final three teams that get into the play-in. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm hoping the the Pels can make a push there. I'd love to see, to see Zion uh, and Lonzo and that group. They're just a fun group. They, they love to run in transition, and uh, it's an exciting team. So I'd love to see them um, find their way into that playing tournament against over a team like the Spurs, but um, we will see. What about any teams that are just fully out of it in the West? Yeah, three teams, the Thunder, the Rockets, and the Wolves. Tank time for those three squads. Um, the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes. Exactly. I mean, it's clear that the Thunder have shown some exciting things this season, but now they've just leaned completely into the the new guys. You know, they traded George Hill. Um, they've decided just to sit Al Horford. The, the, I don't even think they'll be able to buy him out. Um, he's just got too much money on his contract. I think they've decided, hey, we're just playing the young guys. We're going to rack up the losses now. Um the Rockets looked like they were trying to win, but had a 19-game losing streak a couple of weeks ago. Um, they have gotten a few people back healthy. Uh, Christian Woods back out on the court. John Wall's returning tonight, and he'll be playing now. So we'll see if the, the Rockets, um, you know, can win in a couple more games. But they're definitely not trying to to put any type of run together. That's for sure. Um, and the Wolves are just the Wolves still. They still suck. They're going to be right at the the forefront of the lottery this year. So um, Thunder, Rockets, and Wolves, they are out of it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, 
we'll see. Hopefully they keep losing and, and get a chance at Kate or Suggs or one of those uh those top uh the top guys coming into the draft. But switching gears to the East, who who makes up that top tier similar to the West? It's been the same top three all year out East, um, and it's a very very clear top tier in the East. It really takes a drop after the Sixers, Nets, and Bucks. Um, those have been the, the best three teams in the East all year from the very first week of the season till now. Story still hasn't changed. Um, you know, the Sixers are right at the top and have been incredible. Embiid has been an MVP when he's on the court. Um, ben Simmons has, has had a rough stretch since the All-Star break, but prior to the All-Star break was playing some of the best basketball of his career. Um, if not maybe the best season of his career up to the all-star break. Uh, Tobias Harris has been great. Uh, a couple of the, those wing pieces, Seth Curry, Danny Green, they're both doing their job. Um, so things look good in Philly. Uh, I mean, the Nets, it's just, you know, who's healthy, roll them out. Some nights it's Harden, some nights it's Kyrie. Kevin Durant's back in action tonight. Um so we really haven't even seen the, the full potential of the Nets. We haven't seen many games where we get the, the full healthy version of Kyrie, Harden, and KD all out there together. Um, and the Nets are tooling up with, you know, some of the buyout guys, the trades. They got Blake Griffin on the roster now, LaMarcus Aldridge on the roster. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how everything meshes when they, they have everybody on the court at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, it kind of sucks because some of the guys that have played a big role so far this season, like Nick Claxton lately, has looked awesome. But it looks like he could just lose some of his minutes to, a, you know, a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge. So it's interesting to see what the Nets are doing. But at the end of the day, the Nets have the best roster in the league um, as far as talent goes. So as long as things work well together, there's no reason to believe the Nets are anywhere but the very, very top of the East. Um, and then lastly is, is the Bucks, and the Bucks are happy with where they're at for sure. Um, you know, they've run away with the Eastern Conference the past two years um, and then have struggled in the playoffs. This year, it looks like they're really just kind of focusing on getting together their squad, you know, working on what they need to do in the regular season, just getting there, and then they're going to turn it on in the playoffs. I still have a lot of confidence that the Bucks can make a playoff run, can knock off the Sixers or Nets, if they come up with it, I'm not counting the Bucks out in the playoffs because uh, they've been great this year. Giannis is pretty much putting up the same numbers he did in all of his last two MVP seasons. Um, they just re-signed Drew Holiday to a four-year deal, and Drew Holiday's been incredible. Chris Middleton's still great. Um, I mean, the Bucks are still a really, really good team to be contended with out East, and so those are the top three right now, and, and it's not even close. Yeah, man, we've seen we've seen uh, the Bucks be there year after year now in that kind of the top tier in the East, and uh, of course the Nets and, and all the talent they have. You know, they can they have a high ceiling, and they'll probably be there. But a team that hasn't been as consistent, at least in that top tier, has been the Sixers. So it's been interesting to see them have a lot of success and really wire to wire. Um, you know, be a part of that top tier. How much of that? are you giving credit to, to the new coaching hire in Doc Rivers? Um, he definitely deserves quite a bit of credit. I think Doc Rivers has been, has been great for them. Um, I do think Brett Brown, as much as I liked him as a guy, I think there were some issues. Um, 
just with his coaching style, he's a great development guy, you know, brought that organization out of the dumpster and brought him into relevancy. Um, but I do think, you know, they needed a fresh face. They needed some new strategy, but at the same time, they have some new, new pieces around, um, you know, that core of, of Embiid and um, Simmons. It probably just took a year for, um, you know, Tobias Harris to get it figured out. He's always played really well. All of his, you know, best career years have come under Doc Rivers as his coach um, with those years with the Clippers that he had. Um, so a lot of credit does does need to go to Doc Rivers for the job he's doing with that Sixers squad. Yep, and, and so that's the, the top tier in the East with the, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Bucks. Who's making up that middle tier? This one's crazy because there's about five teams – that are all right around 500 in that middle tier um, in the Eastern Conference. And I think there's probably going to be a lot of jumping around. Um, I think we're far from having these seeds being set. But right now in the four seeds, the Atlanta Hawks. And the Hawks have been on an absolute tear since the head coaching change. Nate McMillan's been the guy. Um, things are really coming together well. Clint Capella has been a, a force on both ends. Trey Young's doing Trey Young type of stuff. Um, Gallo's been awesome. So the, the Hawks are really showing, um, you know, a lot of the potential that we thought this roster could have, uh, you know, after the moves they made this offseason. Um, and we knew the Hawks are shooting for the playoffs this year, but right now they're shooting for home court advantage in the playoffs, shooting for a top four seed. Um, I don't expect them to to stick there. I think a team like the Heat, who are in sixth place right now, uh, wouldn't surprise me if the Heat really turn it on down the stretch here and, and you know kind of vault themselves up to the top half of the the playoffs. Um, Tyler Hero has been playing really well lately. Jimmy Butler's healthy; he's back. Bam's been been really good. Um, and you know, now they have all the depot on the roster. We'll see what, uh, Bealiza can do they just picked him up from the Kings. So, um, we'll see how those pieces all mesh together, but it looks like the, the heat can really put something together and, and string together enough wins to get up to that four seed. Um, but you know, there, there's the, uh, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Celtics, the Pacers, those they're all right there in the, uh, the play in right now. Uh, the Hornets are, are in the sixth seed, I believe. And in the, I think the Hornets, oh yeah, I think the Hornets are in the fifth seed right now, actually. Um, I don't expect them to stay there. I think the LaMelo injury obviously hurts and dealing with a few other injuries as well. So the Hornets have been super fun this year, but they, they could take a little bit of a dive in the, in the rankings, but you know, there's a lot of teams just right in there kind of fighting for for position in the middle of the, the East right now. Yeah, there's a lot of teams just kind of juggling for, for position there. Um, yeah, a big group in the middle, and so it'll be exciting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, what about teams kind of looking to, to make contention for that playoff tournament? Who are those teams? So right now, the play-in tournament, it would shake out to be the Knicks and the Bulls playing each other and then the Celtics and the Pacers playing each other in the play-in. Um, the Celtics have been really disappointing. Um, can't say I did not predict that prior to the season, uh, but I, I do think the Celtics, at the end of the day, they're still a, a pretty good team. They've been to three of the last four Eastern Conference finals. 
Um, so they're not a team I'm going to bet against. I think they could, they could even take a jump up. It's not like they're out of contention for the four seed still. So Celtics right now are, are in that play in. Um, but what would be a really fun one is if we did see the Knicks get the seven seed, um, win a game in the, in the play in tournament and then face the Knicks. And we got the battle of New York in the playoffs or face the Nets. Sorry. We got a Knicks Nets playoff matchup that would be fun to see the battle of new york um and, and the bulls they've been a fun team all year you know billy donovan's first year there patrick williams has been awesome as a rookie they've had a couple unexpected guys step up and be really good like thaddeus young has been great um so so the bulls are right there in the play-in tournament right now which was a little unexpected um and the pacers they're still the pacers they they obviously Dealt Oladipo, the, uh, the injury to uh, TJ Warren kind of really knocked them down and, and hurt them a lot this season. But Sabonis has been great. Um, and then, then they're still right there. Could definitely, you know, win a couple games in the play-in tournament and, you know, give someone a battle in the first round. So I wouldn't wouldn't count the, uh, the Pacers out. But right now they're looking like they're not going to be anywhere except that play-in. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you. I, I would love to see a, a Knicks-Nets. Um, Wouldn't that be fun? In the playoffs, because that Knicks team, that fan base has been tortured for so many years. So it's been cool to see uh, the Knicks kind of have finally have some success, um, you know, have something to, to root for. I know M, I've been hearing MSG's finally got some some energy, some life back in it. And so well, I would love to see a, a series, even if they don't end up uh, you know, knocking off the Nets, which was probably be a very unlikely scenario, but would love to see uh, see that one for the for the city of New York. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a really fun one to watch. See, uh, I want to see the Knicks back playing meaningful basketball. So they've uh, they've gone through some rough times, but they uh, they could do it this year. They they're gonna make the playoffs. I think. I got you. Well, rounding things out, who who's uh, who's tanking in the East? I gotta know. So in the East, two teams clearly out of it, clearly tanking, uh, especially since they traded everyone away at the deadline. Pretty much every every meaningful player on the roster, the Magic, traded away. Um, so that they're looking to tank now. And then the Pistons have been losing games all year. Um, Pistons are really kind of leaning into that young core now. And uh, I've seen some really – exciting pieces in that young core Isaiah Stewart has been awesome Sadiq Bay who was one of my favorite guys going into the the draft this year has been incredible looks like he's you know real stud a guy that's going to be a you know almost all-star level player in the future um Killian Hayes is back healthy and so the Pistons are just rolling out the ball and letting these rookies and, and young guys go play they're not winning any games Magic Pistons are out of it the Cavs and Wizards, they could still push for the play-in tournament, but it would take a lot of luck. It'd take a big winning streak and probably some losses from the teams who are currently in the play-in. And then there's the Raptors. The Raptors have just been so weird all year. Um, they're the first team out of the play-in tournament right now, uh, and it looks like they're not even really going to try to push into that play-in. It looks like we could be seeing tank time in Tampa. <laughs> Man, that's a, that's a rarity from a, a Nick Nurse coach team, but it has been a weird season for that group. 
Um, so, you know, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and, and realize where you're at as a, as a franchise and a team. So interesting stuff for, for the Tampa Bay Raptors this season. Um, final thing on the NBA. Uh, it's been a great recap. I feel up to speed. Give me one team in the East and one team in the West that you think we got five weeks left. Who's making a run? Who do you predict is going to come out here and, and really kind of change where they're at in the, in the standings or at least, uh, you know, tear off a, on a win streak here? Um, let's see. In the West, I'd probably lean towards the Mavericks. It wouldn't surprise me if the Mavericks go on a little run, could even end up in the, the you know, fifth seed. Uh, probably would take a lot for them to, to end up in the top four. I don't think they're going to make enough of a run, but the Mavericks are uh, definitely trying to sneak up uh, in the Western Conference standings. They've been hot lately, playing really well. So watch out for the Mavericks in the West. On the East, um, I do still think the Celtics could string together a few wins, but I would honestly lean towards the Heat. I think the Heat are really going to figure things out and uh, are going to go get the four seed in the East. Um, sorry to the Hawks. The Hawks have been fun to watch and are playing really well, but I don't think they're holding on to that four seed. Yeah, that'd be shocking. Uh, the Heat, they got that culture. They got Spo. Um, you know, they were there last year in the finals. And so that would that would seem like a safe pick for them to to keep rising up the standings there. Well, well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you catching me up. It's been it's been some great insight from the uh, the point of Drew resident NBA expert. We got five weeks left to go. I know I'm excited to start tuning in uh, a little bit more regularly. And I know I know you'll be keeping on and, and watching here, gearing up for the playoffs. Absolutely, man. Always happy to to talk some NBA with you, but now we're going to switch over to the subject where you are definitely the expert on. Um, and that's the, uh, the golf side of things, the masters this coming weekend, big one, the, the biggest tournament of the year. Um, it was weird. Cause we just had the masters about like five months ago in November. Uh, but now it's here again, which is awesome. Let's break it down real quick. Just, Hit us with some of the big storylines. What's happening this weekend? Tell us about the, the tournament. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess we can start kind of um, with the course conditions and, and how it's expected to play this week. Um, you know, it's going to look a lot different than um, the tournament back in November. Uh, you know, Augusta is expected to play a, a little bit more firm and, and fast this year, so it's doubtful we'll see another minus 20 showing like we saw DJ put on when he absolutely torched the course in, in November. I don't think uh, the, uh, Augusta, the course officials are going to let that happen again. So, um, you know, I think it's going to play a little bit tougher, more, more firm and, and the greens are going to be pretty fast this week. And so I, I expect something, uh, a winning score closer to minus 12 or minus 13 to get the job done. Um, you know, last year was, was pretty special circumstances. I mean, We've never seen a Masters in November, so you got to kind of think, hey, was the course completely ready to go, um, played much softer and easier than in years past. And so I don't know, but I'm definitely expecting it um, to be much more of a challenge uh, this time around. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And so um, we did just see Jordan Spieth. He's coming off of his first win since 2017 at the Open Championship. Mm -hmm. Winning last week at San Antonio at the Valero Texas Open. Um, what's that mean for, for his chances this coming weekend? 
Yeah, man, we saw Jordan finally get over the hump for uh, for the first time since um, way back in 2017. Couldn't be more happy for the guy from from all accounts. He seems like a great dude, and it's definitely always more fun when he's in the mix. But uh, but that said, I'm, I'm I'm not sure he has what it takes mentally to uh, to to get it done here at Augusta. Similar to me, uh, you know, as referenced after my loss, I'm sure to rock and make it on this podcast. Uh, you know, it, it, it's going to take a lot mentally to get it done in majors, as we've seen before. And, um, you know, he's done it in the past, but I'm just not sure right now. His game's in a great place. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, majors are just a little bit different. Uh, it takes a little bit different uh, type of mental resolve to really close out the field and, and win uh, majors, particularly at Augusta. And, and it, as good of a – as as good of a place his game is in right now for, for Spieth, I'm not sure he's got the uh, the mental side of things to get it done this week. Has Spieth won a Masters before? He has, yep. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, it'd be interesting to see if he, he can get back into that groove, channel the, uh, you know, that spirit that he clearly had once in the past and do it again. But, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not sure if he quite has it all together right now, but – uh, you know, big win last week. So we'll see if he can, uh, you know, build off that momentum. Um, Brooks Kepka, he's just had knee surgery. Um, you know, people didn't know if he was actually going to play. And he's playing. He's in. Um, you know, how did he hurt his knee? Do you think this knee is going to hold him back from any real chances to actually win the tournament? <laughs> yeah, so – Kepka coming off a recent knee surgery um, less than a month ago. I guess I'm not exactly sure how he he heard it. He supposedly slipped and dislocated. There wasn't a ton of context provided. That said, I do have my own working theory on what happened, if, uh, if you care to hear. This is going to be uh, good. We do want to hear. Please share. <laughs> I mean, as we know, Brooks is, uh, is a pretty chill fucking guy, right? I mean, he loves to, to get hammered and party and <laughs> In, in bro out and so um you know my guess is you know he was probably out on the beach he, he lives in jupiter florida and so probably out on the beach one day dying it up with the boys um for any listeners who were born yesterday dying it up we're talking about beer dye um so yeah, i definitely think brooks was out there playing some dye maybe dj was involved maybe wayne gretzky i'm not sure but i, I think brooks probably caught a tough hop on one of the dye throws and Went to make a play uh, probably between, I don't know, 12, 15 beers deep and uh, landed a bit awkwardly on his knee. Um, and so I, I think he obviously came down with the catch. The guy is a, is a top-tier athlete, but um, maybe even caught a smooch from his girl after the catch. And, uh, but he came up a little bit hobbled after that awkward landing, which ended up in the, in the dislocated knee. Um, that's my theory on how it happened has not been confirmed, but, um, that would be my best guess just given where he lives, what he likes to do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that said, I, I do think it will impact his, his, uh, his ability to really go out and perform this week at Augusta. Um, Brooks does Brooks stuff. I mean, I think he's going to be around. He'll definitely have a couple moments there where you're like, Oh, is Brooks, where is he coming up the leaderboard? Like, is he really going to do it? Um, but I, I just, it's too, it's going to be too tough to ask him to do that over 72 holes. And so, um, I do, I don't think Brooks will, will come out with the win this week, uh, in large part due to the knee, but, um, the guy's going to be a ton of fun to watch as always. 
Yeah, I love the, the theory, and it sounds pretty accurate to me. I, I definitely won't, uh, won't argue that one. Uh, you know he definitely made the catch as well. Um, but, yeah, hope hope to see him actually making a run. It's always fun to see Brooks competing. Um, but talking about competing, a guy who competes at, at every major championship, every single major, he's won one, won all the majors except for the Masters. That's Rory McIlroy still in pursuit of his career Grand Slam. Is this the year for Rory? Can he do it? Ah, oh, man, I Rory quite uh... – you know, very differently than Brooks. Brooks has got the mental game down. Rory, not so much. Augusta mentally owns Rory uh, to this point in his career. And, you know, I think the only way he wins a green jacket is if he quits golf temporarily, starts training UFC, challenges ex-NBA star David Lee, who is, is actually currently married to his ex-girlfriend slash tennis star Caroline Wozniacki, He's going to have to challenge David to a prize fight, fights David Lee on national television, wins, steals back Wozniacki. Um, after all that, I think Rory could have the mental resolve built up to, to finally get over the hump at Augusta and get that elusive Grand Slam he's after. But um, without all those events playing out kind of exactly the way I laid them out, I don't think Rory's winning at Augusta. Well, I, I will tell you right now, if that's what it's going to take for Rory to win, yeah, he's definitely not. I would put every single dollar that I own on David Lee in that fight. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, best of luck to Rory. We'll see what he can do out there this weekend. But if you're, you know, in any way, in any shape or form accurate with that assessment, uh, Rory is not going to win it. Um, but another guy who is trying to win it, Dustin Johnson trying to be the first back-to-back -back winner at Augusta since Tiger did it back in 01-02. Any chance that DJ pulls this one off? It's a good question. He is. He's coming in as one of the favorites. Him and Bryson uh, are listed as, as the two betting favorites as of now. Um, DJ is pretty nails. He, 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 he knows Augusta dominated you know, the field and, and the course early back in November. Um, it is really hard to go back to back though. We've only seen it happen a couple times. Nicholas has done it. Tiger's done it. Um, I think he's got a chance, but, uh, but I'm not, I'm not going with DJ this week. I think he'll, he'll be around. He'll, I think he'll play pretty well, but, um, I think there's just a couple other guys in the field that are due to, to win and, and get their first green jacket. And so, um, as much as DJ is, uh, it will be lurking this week. I, I don't think he's going to get it done. Well, speaking of DJ, what did you think of the uh, the champions dinner menu that he uh, put together? Oh, dude, I, I thought it was uh, so refreshing. You know, so many people try and go out and, and reinvent the wheel and do something crazy. Um, DJ, man, as simple as possible. I mean, I guess the pigs in a blanket was a little different, but man, that, that was a great touch. Uh, but just going, hey, garlic mashed potatoes, you can get a little sea bass, you can get a little filet. Um, you know, he did it right, made it as simple as possible. For me, when it comes to cooking, when it comes to cuisine, uh, you know, I think, you know, keep it simple, you know, go with what you know. Uh, everyone, you know, I've never had a, I, I, yeah, okay, I have had a filet I, I didn't like, but it, it doesn't come around often. Um, you know, you know, Augusta, the, the, the crew there is going to be cooking up something nice. So sea bass, filet, mashed potatoes, 
I loved it. Keep it simple. That's all it is. And so congrats to DJ. He definitely nailed it for that Champions Dinner menu. Yeah, just a classic uh, American meal right there from DJ. But enough with uh, the storylines. We know uh, we've got some degenerate listeners out there, some people who love to toss some money at some dumb bets. And so we know they're going to be throwing some money around this weekend when it comes to the Masters. Let's hit a few betting predictions. Take me through your, you know, best bets on your the favorites to win. Who are probably the five names that you would consider throwing some money at, and what are their odds? Yeah, so there's really a tier of five guys um, at the top, really, as, as favorites to win. DJ and Bryson are opening up at plus a thousand as as the two betting favorites. Um, trailing shortly behind them are, are, are Jordan Spieth coming off his win at plus 1100 and then Justin Thomas, his good friend at plus 1100 as well. And then, uh, the Spaniard John Rom at plus 1300 rounds out that kind of top tier of five who are all considered favorites, all, you know, within the, the top 10 in the world rankings, man, any of them really could win it. Um, but I would have to go with two of the last guys I mentioned, I'm really kind of split between the two. Justin Thomas, he's a guy who, you know, I I think is the best ball striker on tour, and and that's going to really matter at Augusta this week with the Greens playing uh, as difficult as we think they will be. Um, And and so his ability to hit it close into those pins, I think, will will matter. And so JT, he's nails. I really like him. And then John Rahm, he just had a kid. His first child was actually born, and and Rahm's like art. He may be – I think he's like 22 maybe, but – uh, he's a young guy, so I'm excited for Rom. Uh, we saw it happen a couple years back when in 2016 when Danny Willett uh, won the Masters right after his his first child was born, and so we've seen that before. I think history could repeat itself there, and so between JT and Rom, uh, I, I really like those guys out of the out of the favorites. Uh, not really going with Bryson. I don't think Spieth's got it mentally, and then DJ. It's a popular pick, but um, I don't think he's going to go back to back. Got you there. Now, give me give me two guys you think could finish in the top 10. Who are some best bets in that area? Yeah, so a couple good value bets here, um, two that I really like. And so I'd recommend at least throwing a, a little cash on these guys to finish in the top 10. One being my man, Sebastian Seabass Munoz, uh, the Colombian man. This guy's a lot of fun to watch. He's, he's, I, he's really become one of my favorites on the tour. Um, he's coming in at plus 800 to finish in the top 10. Um, he played pretty well in, back in November at Augusta, uh, tied for 19th there. And, and he's coming off, he's been playing well this year. He's coming off a top 10 last week in San Antonio. Um, I mostly like the guy. I love calling him Seabass. Uh, I like that he's Colombian. He's channeling his inner narcos here, a little Paulo Escobar action, but, um, Seabass Munoz, man, I, I really think he's going to play well this week. And so at plus 800, it's too, it's too tantalizing for me to stay away. Um, I like Seabass to finish in the top 10. And then another guy I like uh, to come up in that top 10 is, is Cameron Smith. Cam Smith, he's coming in at plus 240. This guy's got the best flow on tour right now. His mullet is fully out of control. So expect CBS to be – um, spotlighting him quite a bit, getting some uh, getting some camera on those those locks of his. Um, Cam Smith, as much as I'm joking around a lot, he's been terrific all season. He's a great putter. Um, 
He's had past success at Augusta. He finished tied for second, almost won the whole thing uh, back in November. Um, so he's had success at, his, at Augusta. He's been playing really well as of late. Um, and he's just a fun guy to root for. I mean, we've had so many Aussies on the PGA Tour who have just been kind of lukewarm for me. I mean, Jason Day, he was whatever. Uh, Adam Scott, kind of a pretty boy. Not, not my favorite. <laughs> Cam Smith, he's got the mullet. He's got a, a, a great swing on him, uh, you know, and he, he rocks the stash as well. And so he's, he's a fun guy to root for, and, and he's got the game to back it up. So Cam Smith coming in at plus 240, I really like him to finish in the top 10 as well. Sounds like a good bet there. A um, couple long shots to finish in the top 10. Always, always throw money on a guy nicknamed Seabass. I uh, can't <laughs> go wrong with that one. Um, now, you wrote down a couple prop bets. In the first one, I'm really interested uh, in this one, the top lefty in the tournament. Uh, walk me through who you've got for this one and why you've got him. the top lefty. Yeah, and so this one, this is maybe my favorite bet of, of the whole tournament. Um, it's a guy who I didn't really know much about until this year. He's been playing pretty well as of late. Uh, Brian Harmon. Uh, coming in at plus 225 to be the top lefty finisher at Augusta this year. This guy is all time, man. I, I like to, I've nicknamed him the alt style God. Um, <laughs> he's, hear me out on this one. He's a little guy. He's about five, seven. He rocks a soul patch. He's got baggy pants. He's not your typical kind of PGA tour buttoned up type player. Um, you know, I've been joking around with some friends, all Brian Harmon is missing to really round out his, his uh, ensemble, I think, is a, is a sweet set of gauges to put in those years. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen it on tour yet, but I think he is the perfect guy to pioneer that look on the PGA Tour. Um, so I'm really lobbying, Brian, if you or your family or your caddies listening, um, you know, put in a good word. I think you should throw just, hey, go for it. Throw in some gauges, you know, make, make, go, go crazy with it if, if you want to. Um, the alt style God, Brian Harmon. I really like him to, to come in as the top lefty here. Uh, all jokes aside, the guy's been really hot lately. He's top three finish at the players, um, been playing really well. And the only competition, at least the top competition, uh, in terms of the other lefties are Bubba, who, who's really up and down lately, and, and Phil Mickelson, who, um, yes, he's had success at Augusta, but hasn't necessarily been lighting it up as of late. And so, I'm going with Brian Harmon, the alt style god, the pioneer of gauges. Will hopefully on the PGA Tour at plus two twenty five is the top lefty. That's my favorite prop bet of the week. Lock it in. Lock it in. The alt style god at plus two twenty five. Great pick there. Um, another prop bet you have written down here: the top European. You have John Rom winning that. I mean, you mentioned John Rom is you know, possibly a guy that's going to win it all. But but tell me why he's going to be the top European. Yeah, man, I really like this one. So John Rahm to be the top to top European finisher is, is plus 350. And so if you if you like John Rahm to potentially win this tournament, I would definitely go ahead and, and take that bet as the top European. Super good value. Um, like I said, I think he's got a chance to win, and I think he can definitely outplay um, the other Euro favorites. Uh, you got Rory there. He's got a chance – We'll see Victor Hovland. He's been, he's an awesome young guy. Uh, Lee Westwood's been hot recently as well, but I think John Rahm has, has got a good chance to outplay all of those other European favorites. The guy has had 
seven top tens in his last nine starts. His last three appearances at Augusta, he's finished in the top 10 every time. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, he just had his kid. He's going to be fired up and ready to go. Um, you know, if John Rahm doesn't win, whatever, but I really like him to be the top European finisher. Plus 350, go ahead and lock that one in. Like that bet as well. And yeah, John Rahm just had a kid. He should uh, do whatever he can to keep that kid away from uh, the alt style God. <laughs> Uh, we we should make sure that uh that nothing happens there. He doesn't pick up on some style from from our man Harmon. No, uh, no newborn should be even close to Brian. <laughs> oh man, feeling bad for Harmon. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to uh to Google him as soon as the, the podcast over. I need to to read up a little bit about the uh, the alt style God here. But John Rom, the best European. Wrap it up here. Who is your favorite bet of the tournament? If you're going to take one bet, who is it on? So my favorite bet, it's not going to be on a winner, but it is going to be on a top five finish. I am taking Justin Thomas. I'm going to throw quite a quite a hefty wager on this one, but Justin Thomas to finish in the top five at plus 180. Um, it's tough for me, like I said earlier, to pick between JT and Rom as the winner, so I'm just going to play it safe here. Rom's got a little bit more variance in his game. He wears his emotions on his sleeve, whereas JT is just fucking nails, man. He's the best ball striker on tour. He's a terrific putter, um, and I expect him to play super well this week at Augusta and finish in this top five. I think really it's almost a lock. He, he played really well here um, in, in his previous starts, and so um, JT – Lock it in, plus 180 to finish in the top five. I think he he definitely finishes there, if not uh, takes home his first green jacket. Lock it in, Justin Thomas, top five finish. Good, uh, good stuff there on the Masters preview. That's going to wrap it. Great episode, Barton. Good stuff from you. Um, we just covered a lot, and uh, that's a solid episode right there. Yeah, man, covered a lot of ground. It's a great time of the year. Uh, March Madness may be over, but NBA is heating up. Five weeks left, so thanks for your insight there. And, hey, it's the greatest tradition of all sports, Masters Week, baby. So I'm excited to tune in, get uh, a minimal amount of work done uh, here on Thursday and Friday. And uh, really excited for what, uh, what Augusta's got in store for us this week. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see, uh, we'll see if any of your bets uh pay out i'm assuming they all will um you know i'm i'm not gonna lie like yeah i've thrown out some masters bets before fina was a total flop and in, in back in november I'm gonna stay away from that but i'm feeling really good man jt top five john rom top european and i think really the lock of the century brian Harmon. <laughs> that that one's just juicy yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think you nailed all of those. W- would be surprised if those don't uh, come to fruition with a fat sum of money for you. Um, so hopefully everyone's tailing your bets, gets on board with you, uh, rides with them, and uh, wins some money. But, man, good episode. Another point of Drew in the books. Fun stuff, man. Good stuff, baby. Uh, great to be back. I'm glad we're, we're both uh... – past covid here and excited for uh for some awesome more episodes coming our uh, coming our way soon so thank you all for listening um 
looking forward to a great week of sports and you guys know the drill in the meantime like great review and above all subscribe subscribe smash that subscribe button we will be back soon appreciate you guys listening peace deuces